Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Maybe he'll see a little better Saturdays. Welcome to Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Trotar. It's that big voice guy. Sandy Clough's over here on my left. Sandy, a, a big weekend in sports. We'll have a lot to tackle like we do right here on this show every team, every day. We're going to talk about the abs, the nuggets, buffs. Men's basketball team, but women's basketball teams, one doing better than the other. The DU hockey pioneers rolling. The Broncos, you name it. We'll get to all of it. We're going to start with the hottest team in the NHL. The Colorado Avalanche now winners of five in a row. A road trip in which they went 4-0-0. So you're talking about a team that is now three points out of first in their division with two games in hand. And by the way, as we mentioned before here, the easiest remaining schedule in the NHL. The Avalanche, though they are still remarkably beaten up as a team and missing an awful lot of talent. Gabriel Landeskog is out. Of course, Eric Johnson's still out. Arturi Lekkanen, out. Lots of guys still out. Josh Manson, out. Pavel Francouz, out. These are significant players. They're all out. The Avs go 4-0-0 on this trip. They've won five straight. They're three out of first. Sandy, this team running on a flat tire for most of the season could still win the division. They played, I thought, on Saturday in Detroit against the Red Wings. If you haven't seen the previous 27 games or the other games on this winning streak, And just watched on Saturday, however you may or however you managed to to, uh, manage to watch watch the game, right? Uh, You saw, I think, over the course of sixty minutes, the Avalanche get outshot, still win easily, five to one. Um, I watched uh, the Detroit telecast, and the announcers were simply marveling at how effortlessly the avalanche were dominating the game, even though they were getting outshot. And I suppose in spots territorially outplayed and they win the game five, one. And we mentioned the other day that over a period of 27 games, you take every NHL team over a similar stretch, which is, essentially from the halfway point of the season, give or take a game or two, and play it out over the final half of the season to date. And I went back last night and I mean, looked at the last 28 games that's for the Avalanche and the, the 31 other teams. A little, that's a little more, more than, than a third, than a third of, the of the season. Right? right? That's a healthy chunk. The Avalanche at 25-3 and three have 43 points in their last 28 games. They won 20 games out of their first 42. They have won 20 of their last 28. Yikes. That's how improved their play has been since a loss in Chicago to the Blackhawks back in mid-January that they hope to avenge tonight at Ball Arena when the Blackhawks come to town. Uh, the Avalanche are actually this year only two and two against Chicago and Arizona combined, but they have three games left with those two teams. One with Chicago tonight and a home and home with Arizona later on this week, Friday and Sunday. So 25 and three, 43 points. There isn't a team in the West that has more than 40 points over its last 28 games, except for Edmonton with 41. In the East, you've got Carolina with 41 and Boston with 43. Boston has both won one more game and lost one more game than the Avalanche at 21-6-1. So a team that's about to set, perhaps, an all-time record for NHL regular season wins is the only team that can match the Avalanche over the last 28 National Hockey League games played for each of the 32 clubs. Only Boston. And that's only a tie at 43 points and 43 points. A remarkable coaching job, and it is absurd that Jared Bednar 
is not among the candidates for Coach of the Year honors. That's, that's Jim Montgomery really, will win, of course. It, but Bednar should run, yeah. be among the finalists. That's what strikes me when you talked about that that run. And uh, look, the Abs would be in even better shape, except for the fact that you have to give it to the Dallas Stars and the Minnesota Wild who continue to win as well. The Stars have won, and the Wild have each won seven out of their last ten games. So the, they're not making it easy. At the same time, we talk about those last 28 games, and I think about the guys that have, were out 28 games ago and may have come back. It's not very many. I mean, this is essentially the injuries that the Abs have dealt is with. Is Landis guy back? No. Is Helm back? Nope. Johnson's not back. Francois, uh, you know, they, they lose him. They lose Lekkonen, of course. Francois has been in and mostly out mostly of the lineup. Mostly out of the lineup. So this team is not exactly, it hasn't been like at that stage of the season, they got a lot healthier. They really haven't. They really have not gotten much healthier. They have simply played better. They have been coached better. They have gelled as they have, as you hope for, and their stars have played like stars. Nathan McKinnon, we've talked about this before, might be having, throughout the stats, his most dominant season of his career. Well, I, I think in those 28 games that we talk about, Nathan McKinnon, apologies to Connor McDavid, who's the best player in the National Hockey League this year and no doubt will win the Hart Trophy. Nathan McKinnon has been far and away the best player in the world over the last 28 Avalanche games and particularly over the last 15, 16, 17 games when he's been on this ridiculous point streak that will leave him, I think, by the end of the year for the first time as a 100-point producer in a single season. He's never hit 100. He made it to 99 once. Probably should have been the Hart Trophy winner that year, but was not. Uh, he won't get it this year, but again, he should be a candidate considering that he's missed, oh, What's it been? A dozen I mean, he's, games he's been, or so? Yeah, exactly a dozen. And he's still well, on actually, pace uh, yeah, 100 points. 57, pardon me, he's uh, missed 11. 57 out of the abs, 68 games. And he still, uh, right now, sits at 88 points. Miko Rantanen, of course, uh, on his pay, on his way to a 50-goal season. He has 46 yeah. at this stage. So, I mean, remarkable performance there by your big man. And uh, Kale McCarr, as we've talked about, uh, transcendent talent. Second star of the week in the NHL this week. Those three guys... I'm not going to say they've carried this team because they haven't. They've gotten contributions up and down the lineup. But when you have contributions up and down the lineup and you can sport those three guys, McKinnon, McCarr, and Rantanen, you have an edge. And while in losses, he's looked bad. Alexander Georgiev has actually had a very, very good year for the Avs. They've only been five losses in the last right. two months. In those five, in those five <laughs> losses, you know, I get it, get it. He's given up four or five so, goals. I get all it. All right. But. He's he's had four or five games that weren't great. Not all five but losses were exclusively his fault. Ridiculous. Any more than the 20 wins were exclusively to his credit. My point being, though, that what we saw from Georgiev on Saturday in Detroit is representative of the way he has played over the past two months. Very representative. And again, the Detroit announcers were talking up Georgiev as one of the top five goaltenders in the NHL, one of the top five goaltenders in the world, just as a given. Well, of course, of course he is. They're going to win 50 games this year with a third of their lineup out. For most of the games they play. And they've had six or seven major injuries from regulars or semi-regulars virtually throughout the season. Carrying a heavier workload because no consistency at the backup goaltender position on top of that. So, yeah, fourth in the league and wins at 31. Tied for third, actually, with uh, some guy, Vasilevsky something. Yeah, yeah I think he's okay. Uh, you know, only three behind Olmark of Boston as they go streaking yeah. for the potential well, record in he, wins. He plays almost every game. I mean, and look at this. And they've won 53 games. Olmark, 34 wins. Igor Shosturskin, brilliant young player. Right. 32, yeah, tied sure. to 31, Andre Vasilevsky and Alexander Georgiev. I mean, you are in top tier company there. So the Avs have a very good, very deep roster elite stars when it comes to skating and very quietly maybe one of the best goaltenders in the NHL that's a recipe to uh, go win the Stanley Cup he's again he's been uh, and, and I thought Kemper in the regular season last year certainly was was 
if not a top 10 goaltender, then very, very close. He was not that good in the playoffs, and we discussed at the time the various reasons. He was exactly good enough. He was (laughs) just barely good enough. Stopped about nine out of every 10 shots, no more, no less. Uh, They expect more in the playoffs this year, I'm sure, from Georgiev. But they are right now positioned, although they are technically in third place in their division, they are well positioned. If they can knock off Minnesota and Dallas at home on March 29th and April 1st, they will win the Central Division, and they have an outside chance to catch Vegas for the number one seed in the West. They are currently six points behind Vegas, but they have two games in hand on Las Vegas. The problem there is they have no more games head-to-head against Las Vegas, so they will need help to catch the Golden Knights, the top seed. Yeah, and I don't, the nice th- thing, Sandy, about that is I don't, I don't know if that actually matters, quite frankly. The top seed in the West, I don't think for the Avs matters. Is it nice? Yes. Is it a bit of a luxury? Also, yes. I think they want it in the first round, though, for right, sure. Right, the first round, absolutely. But this is a team that, as Nathan McKinnon recently reminded everyone. 9-1 uh, on the road. La- last yeah, in the last playoffs, 9-1 and one on the road. In this, this year, by the way, they're better on the road than they right. are at Quite Ball Arena. Better. They have a yeah, better a road record. Better. This is not a team that has any trouble playing away from home. So, you know, if they're in, uh, if they find themselves in the top four seeds or certainly can get that that first round showdown in the divisional, I'm not that concerned about the Avalanche. To me, it is not about talent. It is not about ability. It is not about coaching. All of those things, all of those boxes are checked. This is about health and, and almost health alone and the sense of urgency with which uh, uh, the Nuggets uh, were uh, spoken to over the weekend by their uh, greatest star and the best player in the world for the last three years in the NBA I think has been there with the Avalanche over this two-month period and I think after Chicago their record was 2017 and three in mid-January they had lost to the Blackhawks that been pretty much dominated by Chicago in that game back in Chicago. And I think the feeling around the team and the coaching staff was that enough is enough, that this is ridiculous. We're a 500 hockey team almost at midseason, even with the injuries, we are massively underachieving. And they have been uh, pretty much, with the exception of, of a bad road game in Dallas where they got boat raced a couple of weeks back. Yeah, that was bad. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, with the exception of that one bad road game, they've been great on the road. They've had a little bit of slippage here and there at home. But if they don't have home ice advantage, they'll be at least as confident, I imagine, to your point, as they would be with home ice advantage. Um, it would be one of the remarkable stories. I mean, the story in hockey this year is Boston. I get that. But it would be one of the remarkable stories in recent years that an Avalanche team defending cup champion with maybe a little bit of uh, a diminished sense of having to accomplish something after having gone all the way and won the Stanley Cup last year and on top of perhaps a hangover of sorts from having won the Cup short off season to have all these injuries to win 50 games and maybe win the division and or the top seeded position in the Western conference playoffs, I think would be one of the great regular season accomplishments up to and including last year in the last 21, 22 years for the avalanche since they won the Stanley cup in Oh one. And of course, they won the Cup last year, but that's postseason. I'm talking about a regular season in which I have never seen an Avalanche team here in Denver over more than a quarter century, almost 30 years now, have more injuries to key players than this team has had. And to be over the last two months, 10 points ahead of Dallas, seven points ahead of Minnesota, seven points ahead of Las Vegas, three points ahead of the Kings even ahead of Edmonton, which led by McDavid, the presumptive Hart Trophy winner, uh, has come on and gone 18-5-5 over its last 28 games. 22-12-3 against the West, 
percentage of 635, 18, 10, and 3 against the East, percentage of 629. <laughs> and, they, and as you pointed been, out, they've been a steady team. They've matched Boston. That's matched Boston, Boston is going, over the last 28 games. That sounds games. good anyway, right? You're matching the team that's best in the league over the last 28 games, the last of the season. That always sounds good. So you start to zoom out and realize, wait, the best team in the league this year is on pace to set the record for the most wins in history, and you're still matching pace with them. So this has just Over been the stretch, extraordinary, yes. this run. And I guess when you brought up the coaching, and I think that is a lot to do with it. I think the players, he, I think... He kept them calm. He kept right. them calm, maybe that's but the he trick. pushed them when they had to be pushed. And he said fairly recently, in the midst of this stretch, he said, we aren't playing as hard as we need to play in order to be successful in the playoffs. He's always kept his eye on the playoffs, and he has allowed the Avalanche to focus less on the wins and the losses and more on the process, how they perform night to night. Are they reaching their standard? And when they don't, injuries aside, he calls them on it. And yet he maintains an aura of calm, which I'm sure uh, some Nugget fans would like to see from their head coach. I think for the Nuggets, it's Nikola Jokic who keeps them calm and pushes them when they need to be pushed, uh, as was the case on Saturday after losing to the Knicks in New York. But with the Avalanche on this trip where you would have taken – Three wins out of four. Sure. Right? Sure. They go four for four. And there's no let up. I mean, the night after an emotional 2-1 overtime win in Toronto, they go to Ottawa and they put the game away after two periods. They're up 5-2. Game's pretty much over. Now it finished 5-4 and got a little antsy at the end. But Detroit, same thing. You think, eh, they might be a little flat. Detroit's not playing very well. Uh, Detroit, including the game on Saturday, uh, Two seven and one in its last ten games, not playing very well. They could come up flat. Nope. And they started this road trip with a game against the Canadians. That yeah, there was some garbage goals at the end, but they had an eight goal outing. I mean, eight to four win. But that Detroit game, you know, it was two one late second period, and you blinked and it was five one. They're putting the teams away they're supposed to do, and that's again you talk about the the Nuggets. That's one of the contrasts that has been frustrating, and that's also one of the reasons that. I look at the Nuggets, and I look at the Avalanche. Of course, the Avalanche have done it. They've done it before. They've been there and won it. The Nuggets have never done that. But what I see is a team that maybe understands that process better. It says, look, yeah. we we need to play well against the, the Red Wings. We need to to drop eight on a, a. We're better than these guys. We need to we need to you know mop the floor with these guys. We're the champs. Right. And well, they had three relatively easy games, and they made all three relatively, relatively easy, easy, right? And that's and that's they what won great teams the tight do. one in overtime. That's what truly great teams do, and that's where the challenge is for the Denver Nuggets. The Avs in action, as Sandy pointed out, against the Blackhawks tonight. They are back at home. Uh, I expect a good performance out of them. I think the statements that the Avalanche are making are going to continue to be spelled out very, very quickly. So expect the Avs to perform well at Ball Arena tonight. The Nuggets, however, they bounce back against the Brooklyn Nets. Nikola Jokic calls the guys out for, not saying that anyone maybe listened to the show or not, but the exact same things I complained about they were doing at the end of last week. We'll explain next. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Okay, good news, Sandy. The Denver Nuggets beat the Brooklyn Nets yesterday, 108-102 on the road. They have one more game left on that road trip in Washington on Wednesday. That's the good news. The bad news is prior to that, they had won, this is the Western Conference leaders, by the way, one of the last six games. Right. Against an abysmal Detroit team that is tanking. 
They lose on Saturday to the Knicks, 116-110, to 110, and it's not as if the Knicks are bad. They are not. But these are the kind of games, the Nuggets, if you are legitimate NBA Finals contenders, you win. And the Nuggets have been playing at half speed. They, they had an abysmal loss to San Antonio uh, you know, just a little over a week ago. Lost to Chicago uh, at home by more than 20 points. Yes, and had a, and had a really bad showing in Toronto. As well. And yeah. Toronto's, you know, a, a yes. good team, but they, 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 but they weren't in the game. Lost they by 15. Game. So this team has not played well. Now, Nikola Jokic came out and actually talked about how the team was lacking, in his terms, urgency, which I think is the exact right term. It's what we've been talking about. Here's my concern with the Nuggets, Sandy, and I, I guess... I'll, I'll, I'll just let people know right off the bat. The uh, caller and text line is 303-831-1340. And I will preface this by saying, look, I've, I'm from Colorado. I've watched the Nuggets my whole life. I've covered the Nuggets for a very long time. And this is the first time, including the bubble, that I can genuinely say they have the goods to not only get to the NBA Finals, but win the championship. I've never been able to honestly say that before in my life, ever. But if you were to ask me today, I would say no way, because this team has some major championship caliber flaws. And one of them, Nikola Jokic headline, is that lack of urgency. And that lack of urgency, when the playoffs start, tends to turn into a team that believes they can flip a switch. And sometimes you flip that switch and the light doesn't come on and that's how you get bounced. As, as I look at it today, and I hope I'm wrong, this team looks ripe to get bounced in the second round unless they start picking up their play consistently. Nikola Jokic is not going to say this, but... Uh the play-by-play man did the other day on the radio broadcast uh, when he jumped all over Jokic for the six turnovers, particularly the last one in the final seconds, key situation, uh, turns the ball over. Jokic will never complain that he's playing too much and that he's tired. He'll never say that. He's playing way too much, and he's tired. And those were six tired turnovers on Saturday in 37 minutes on the court. And Again, for someone 285, 290 pounds, high-stress minutes, uh, Michael Malone's inability to give him more rest, to find a way, whether it's going small with a Chanchar, uh, Thomas Bryant, getting him at least to the point where he can give you 10 to 12 reliable minutes a game. Uh, DeAndre Jordan's a lost cause. I understand that. But there are various ways you can go when Jokic is not in the game. He's playing about 38 minutes a game this month. That's too many. Jamal Murray is playing about 36 minutes a game this month. That's too many. I'm sorry. And by the time the playoffs roll around, and if they go up against a young coming team like Oklahoma City, which is essentially a 500 team, but has one of the best five players in basketball that nobody knows. Right. In Shane Gilgis. Yeah, Shane Gilgis Alexander is he tremendous. He is as good as John Morant without the headaches off the court. Much more stable, much more reliable. Sean, he's averaging almost 31 and a half points per game. He is a problem. And the Nuggets are having trouble guarding players like this. Witness the loss the other day to the Knicks when Brunson coming off yeah. an injury was not even a little bit rusty and basically dominated the guard he just, play he cooked in that the game. Nuggets. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, that's a concern. And you look, you look at Jokic's minutes, uh, Sandy, the, the games this month, the nine games this month the Nuggets have played, he has not gotten fewer than 34 minutes in a single game, and even that only happened once. I mean, the numbers for, for Jokic are through the roof. Now, amazingly to his credit, he was playing – Three fewer minutes in February. He's jumped from 33.3 to 36.3 through the nine. However, his field goal percentage has only fallen off from 64.2 to 64.1. And that is purely testament to Jokic's extraordinary skills and talents. But here's the thing. Despite the three more minutes on the court, his rebounds have dropped. His assists have dropped. His blocks have dropped. His steals have cut almost in half. And his defense overall is not nearly what it was in February. And his turnovers are up. 
or at least about the same, but he's had some high turnover He's had some higher turnover games. When the minutes have been extraordinary. Yes. Saturday's game, a perfect example, 37 minutes, six turnovers. There have been games like that. There have also been games for the first time all year in which he's gotten a triple-double. Now, yesterday he got one, and of course they won, as they usually have this year, but there have been a couple of instances in this recent stretch in which he has secured a triple-double and the Nuggets have lost the basketball Right, game. and for the first 22 times that it happened, I believe, they didn't, they, they didn't lose. And so uh, this is a guy that I think is playing tired. Now, I get it. It can be disguised because he is so extraordinary that it maybe doesn't look like it. But you can look. I'm not even going into the advanced stats. I'm just going to rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, the regular stuff. They're all down, despite the fact his minutes are up. He's not as effective because he's tired. And that's one of the things. You, you brought it up, and I thought it was a... a very salient point, very flatly stated. You said that when it comes to the playoffs, Michael Malone is the Denver Nuggets Achilles heel. Why is that? Well, look at the record. 6-14 and 14 in the last 20 playoff games. Yeah. Look at the record. And throughout that period, Sean, they've had the best player in the world playing for them. 6-14 and 14 in the last 20 playoff games. And if you don't think Oklahoma City is a problem, you haven't been paying very close attention. And right now, if you went strictly on one versus eight in the current standings in the West, two, seven, three, six, four, five, it would be Denver, Oklahoma City, Sacramento, Golden State, Memphis, Dallas, Phoenix, Clippers. And you may be looking at it saying, but the Nuggets are three and one against Oklahoma City. And you're right. They lost the last one. But they did lose home. the last one. And here's the other thing, though. The first one of the season, all the way back in early November, the Nuggets won that by 12, 122 to 110. When they played again in November 23rd, it had to take, they won by five, but they had to take it to overtime, 131, 126 in overtime. So now you're talking about a situation where they lost 101, 99. The trend with these two teams is Oklahoma City kind of understands how to play the Nuggets. They're getting better every time they play them. And as you pointed out, Gildas Alexander is blossoming to, maybe you're exactly right, maybe a top five player in this league because on top of what he scores and the, the stats he puts up, he's as good a one-on-one on-ball defender he as anyone in the league. Now, I mean, I, I, he's, yeah, he's tremendous. I, I mean, nobody watched the game because it wasn't available. It wasn't on NBA TV and with the NCAA tournament going on. Uh, yeah, people were ABC watching stuff. ABC is putting other things on, ABC slash ESPN. But they played a game against Phoenix yesterday that finished 124-120. Look at Booker's numbers and look at Gilgis Alexander's <laughs> numbers. Booker went, I think, for 46. 46 Alexander points. went for 40. Their numbers across the board virtually identical. And nobody thinks that Booker is anything other than one of the top two or three guards in the NBA, perhaps the best. And my point is, Gilgis Alexander is just as good, but he plays on a younger team, less star-studded, but it's a young team that's on the rise, and I'm not predicting that Oklahoma City would knock off the Nuggets in a best-of-seven series. What I am saying is that if the Nuggets aren't ready, they could be pushed, and you don't want to be playing six or seven yeah, it's games not going to be four. in the first round. As a first-place team in your conference, you don't want that. Uh, to take the East, for example, where uh, Milwaukee would be playing Atlanta in the first round. How long do you think that series would go? Five games? Max. Maybe. Right. Yeah, you can't really call a sweep. But yeah, Gildas Alexander, a really interesting player. I mean, uh, the, the difference, of course, between him and a, and a Booker, effectively, it's about the same. But Gildas Alexander also does something that gives the Nuggets problems. He does. He's not a three-point shooter. In fact, in that game, by the way, he had 40 points yesterday. Didn't even attempt a three. Right. Not even attempted right. a three. He, but you know what he twos. did? He got to the stripe. Absolutely. 19 times right. because this is a guy that drives. They he could takes not the rack, guard him. He forces you to foul him. him. And guess what the Nuggets have problems with? Those kind of guys. Yeah. Big time. That's right. And, and so, yeah, there's a concern. And, and this Nuggets team has to get, they have to get better. Jokic is right. The urgency has to be there. They have to play better, not just, I get it. They're going to, I'm sure they'll get a high energy, very good performance against Milwaukee on Saturday. 
because that's the Bucks, and they know, and it's a measuring stick. I'm actually more curious about how they'll play against the Wizards to wrap up a five-game road I trip on Wednesday. That'll be Wednesday. I'm not worried about the effort against. I don't know if they'll beat the Bucks, but I'm not worried about the effort against the Bucks. I am worried about the effort against the Wizards because sure. this team. The Wizards aren't even a playing team. No, things goes right now. half speed on certain games and then cranks it up during other games. And they're sort of convinced. Look, if you're the Golden State Warriors, you've got most of your roster right now has four rings on their fingers with that team. Okay, maybe you can turn on the switch because you know what it takes. The problem with the Nuggets is they don't. They haven't been there. They haven't done that. And so you don't have the luxury of waiting and presuming that you'll just flip a switch for certain games. It, it, that's the comparison we just made with the Avalanche. And even the Avalanche got a hard lesson. You've talked about it in the last 28 games. since a bad loss to Chicago. They'd had it. Nathan McKinnon reportedly had had a little bout in the locker room with the guys, and McKinnon uh, runs a tight ship. If the more you know about the Avs, makes it pretty clear. He was done with that nonsense. Abs have won 20 in the next 28, and they've been steamrolling the bad teams. The Denver Nuggets should beat Washington by a dozen, and that's with Jokic and Murray probably not even needing to play 30. That's what they should do. That's what title contenders actually do. And until the Nuggets start doing it, Sandy, I'm having a tough time buying in. I really am. To their championship prospects. Yes, yes. I really am. To their championship prospects. I and really they will am. be tested. Listen, they, w- they will be tested. Um, let's say they end up reaching the Western Conference Finals. Look at the they rest. They will be tested. Look at the, the rest of the schedule. They have Washington. Terrible team. On Wednesday. After that, look at the remainder of this schedule. And this, by the way, is the entire remainder of the Nuggets schedule. I'll spell it out for you. Saturday at home versus Milwaukee. Monday at home versus the 76ers. Thursday at home versus the Pelicans. Then on the road, Friday the 31st against Phoenix in Phoenix. Right. The Warriors come to town on April 2nd. They go to a bad Houston team on the 4th. Then they go back to Phoenix. That's two road games against Phoenix on the 6th. Two two games in a week, basically. They play Utah on the road and then finish with, by the way, the number two team in the West, the Sacramento Kings. That's the full remaining schedule of the Denver Nuggets. Show me that you have a soft spot in Houston and you have a soft spot against Washington. And those, those are both road games. games. And those are both those road games. Both and road they games. better be the only All two. Home games I don't care have, if Zion Williamson is playing tough. or not. We've no, seen what CJ McCollum I, I, and company I, I, can do with right, the Pelicans. Right. They used to treat them seriously. They've, they've got Ingram and they've got McCollum and they, they're pretty You've deep. You've got two games that I would say are gimmies. You better. Mom, you better steamroll oh, these guys. The way, these need to be over by halftime. Teams like New Orleans and Utah, they're outside of the uh, top 10 right now. They're not a playing team. Not right now. Neither one. Uh, Utah is not. New Orleans is not. At the moment, the, the four teams, seven through 10, who would be in the play-in tournament in the West right now are Golden State at seven, Oklahoma City at eight, Minnesota at nine, and the Lakers at 10. But the difference between those teams, Golden State is seventh at 36 and 36. New Orleans is a game and a half behind in 12th at 34 and 37. So you've got half a dozen teams, right? From Mm -hmm. seven through 12, separated by a game and a half. Yeah. Uh, And you've got, Six teams and only four playoff spots for those six teams. So every game because uh, becomes must win. And on the uh, home road uh, plus minus differential home wins, uh, uh, I'm sorry, road wins, home losses, Golden State, because it's an awful team on the road, has seven road wins all year. That's only seven stunning. losses at home, but seven road wins. Golden State, zero. Oklahoma City, minus two. Minnesota, minus two. Lakers, minus one. Utah, zero. New Orleans, minus one. I mean, you look <laughs> it at, couldn't be any closer. You look at the Pelicans. Involving six teams. The it Pelicans really are 12th place. They could all be tied, I 12th. guess. 12th. They're only two behind the Mavericks and would avoid the play-in tournament. Well, that's, <laughs> that's right. how crazy listen, it is. Uh, you, you can go They're all out of the, the playoffs. Up. They could avoid the play-in I, tournament I, two games behind. Listen, I, I think the top five are basically set. Denver, Sacramento, Memphis. Phoenix, the Clippers, I, I, if they finish one through five, it wouldn't shock me. Now, if you want to throw in Dallas at sixth, and that and that's the team that avoids the play-in for now, right? 
Mm-hmm. The sixth place Ask team. ahead of the Warriors. D- Dallas is at 0-2 in road win, home loss, differential. They're at zero. But look at the records. Dallas against the Nuggets, 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Nuggets 2-0 and oh against Golden State, 3-1 and one against Oklahoma City, 2-2 two and two against Minnesota, 2-2 two and two against the Lakers, 2-1 and one against Utah with one game left with Utah. And they have one game left with Golden State. New Orleans, 2-1, and one, one game left. So all those teams have played the Nuggets reasonably tough. Those teams all could be potential first-round opponents. Dallas, Golden State, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, Lakers, Utah, and That's New a great point. Any one of That's them a great point, could Sandy. finish eighth at the end of the play-in tournament and take on the Nuggets in the first round. And, yes, I like some matchups a lot better than others. Actually, I like the Golden State matchup quite a bit. But, listen, they're, if Dallas is healthy... The Nuggets are two and two this year against Dallas. So two and two against Minnesota. Two and two against the Lakers. They've lost to Utah. They've lost to New Orleans. <laughs> I, I'm just saying that if the Nuggets play as they have, especially on the road at times over the last month, and they lose one of the first two games at home, they it gets will be tested quick. I'm not saying they'll lose, but it could get dicier than you'd like a first-round series to be. You'd like a first-round series. If you're the top team in the conference, you'd like the first-round series to be basically a walkover. Little or no stress. Which I would feel more comfortable about if the Nuggets would play with more urgency, as Nikola Jokic talked about. We'll see. They're back at it, finishing off that five-game road trip against Washington on Wednesday. We'll get a better idea of what they look like after that. The college Scene in in town is still cooking, by the way. Both the uh, DU Pioneers are getting ready to make their run for another 10th national championship in the back-to-back, of course. So that's getting ready to go. The CU women, by the way, making noise in basketball up in Boulder. We'll check in with both of them and uh, put a bow at the end of the Colorado Buffaloes men's basketball season after they lost in the NIT. We'll do all that next on Mile High Sports. Someone please save us, us college kids. What my parents told me is what I did. They said go to school and be a college kid. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Wall. Hire the winner at BurnhamWall.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. I'm poor, I'm starving, I'm flat broke, I've got no cash to spend. Thanks for joining us. Happy Monday. That, that can be a thing. You can have a happy Monday. Sometimes it's just all about uh, mindset. Sandy, just gonna, you know, go get it. Get yourself a happy Monday. Not a happy Monday for the CU Buffalo men. They did lose in the NIT to the Utah Valley Wolverines. Yeah, that was just... You might not have known that was an actual school uh, or that that school had a basketball team, but it turns out they do. And they knocked off the Buffs 81-69. to uh, Not the end of the world, but I think the Buffs kind of wanted to make a little better statement than that as they have three of the ESPN top 150 recruits coming in for the fall. But I think the key was not to face plant and lose in the first round. And at least they did not do that. Uh, The CU women, by the way, a six seed uh, moving on, have a monumental game tonight. You can see that on ESPN. U at 7 PM tip off uh, here locally. It will be uh, camera crazies will be in full effect. Colorado takes on Duke at Duke. For a chance to go into the Sweet 16, and don't discount them. This is a really, really good team. Excellent team. And to think that the Colorado women outlasted the men, not inconceivable, no, right? No. This year especially. Certainly not. They went 24 and 8. But how about <laughs> the Duke women outlasting the Duke That men? one's a bit of a surprise, although, you know, the Duke women were a three seed, the men were a five. Yeah. So, you know. But people thought. The men might have been more deserving of a four seed, <laughs> perhaps not a three, but maybe a four. Those people and, were mistaken. Uh, that Tennessee <laughs> and Duke should have been flipped. That Tennessee should have been five and Duke should have been four. But uh, Rick Barnes did a good job uh, with Tennessee, getting them ready for that game, and they played bully ball. And uh, I, I'm 
saying, I mean, you had welts under eyes, and I mean, it was serious. Uh, <laughs> time's more like a football game. There are a couple of tournament games like that. Yeah, this there were weekend. some rough ones. It looked more like football than basketball at certain points, but uh, Tennessee won fair and square by 13, and if the game had lasted five minutes longer, they might have won by 20. Yeah, well, the Duke women put away Iona, the 14th seed, by 40, 89 to 49. So a rough weekend for Iona. Yeah. Including the loss of Rick, Rick Pitino, Pitino to St. John. Yeah, we kind of knew it was coming. CU and knocked off Middle Tennessee, the six over the 11, 82 to 60 uh, in that game. And for uh, the, the Buffs, obviously a, uh, a good move. You know, this was the number 21 team in the country when the, se- when the postseason began. So you get the expectation of a good performances. And that's, you know, exactly what they got. You know, Frida Foreman with 21 points, five boards. You get some, uh, you know, a couple of the players in double digits. But it, the scoring off the bench, Sandy, is impressive for me because you had you had eight points, seven points, six points in sort of limited minutes. There, were, there was a lot of balanced scoring for the Buffs and their particular talent is the fact that when their second unit comes in, they don't actually lose a lot of scoring punch. And that is a major advantage on all levels of basketball. All levels. Men, women. You name it, yeah. So bringing them a comes in. If you're getting that kind eight. of production consistently where you're not downgrading very much, major advantage. Right. It's an immensely valuable uh, situation. So uh, this team obviously, has, they've got it. It's going to be a tough pull, obviously, against Duke, but they do have a real chance for the upset here. They, they have, I think, the goods to make that happen if uh, they get a good performance. And they play in Cameron. Mm-hmm. How about that for the women? But if you're, you know what, what and that is that that's exciting, and it also gives you, you're playing with house money. Sure, nobody's expecting the Buffs to win this game, and, and if Duke makes a mistake and overlooks them like their Iona, mm-hmm. Buffaloes have a chance to pull this off because right. uh, you expect a really good performance. So uh, good luck to them uh, this evening. Hopefully that that game versus Duke can uh, go their way. If nothing else, still a phenomenal season. Uh, for the Buffs women as they continue to build that program up. It's already a top 25 program. So, you know, it's, it's on the rise and it keeps Back going. Back to where so they were in Sealberry's heyday. That's right. So that's nice to see. Obviously, the other college news, maybe the... Uh, Potentially the biggest college news is the defending national champion, the Hockey Pioneers, will be back in action soon enough to defend their national title. And uh, away we go, Sandy. Away we go, but with some trepidation. Um, not so much that they lost to CC on Friday. Hard to beat CC a team five, team five games um, in a row, too. And they've got a longer <laughs> streak than that if you go back far enough against CC. And CC has a terrific goaltender. Um, DU is flat, uh, integrating some previously injured players back into the lineup so you could understand why the more desperate team was successful. Here's the issue. The game is telecast on CBS Sportsnet, and they have uh, a between-benches reporter. With 10 minutes to go in the game, it's one to nothing CC. Magnus Krona, the outstanding DU goaltender, makes a save. They take a tight shot. You can see through the mask, through the cage, that he is grimacing as he gets up. He is immediately pulled, goes into the corridor, and according to the Between Benches reporter, says, I sure wish I had more than one healthy foot. After the game, David Carl, in answer to a question about Krona being pulled because he re-injured his foot, says, oh, no, I pulled Krona because I wanted better puck handling and I thought we needed a lift. Well, Matt Davis, the backup goaltender, is an outstanding puck handler. But the issue was, well, sure, you want someone mobile enough to go move the puck. He's playing on one leg. Right. He's playing on one leg. And he played splendidly, even courageously, but by his own admission was playing on one leg. And so David adopting the usual 
hockey, hockey coaches yeah, mentality. Nothing to see here. Yeah, fine. He's fine. No problem. It was a tactical decision to pull him. I have my doubts as to whether he will play against Cornell, and if he doesn't play, they could be in trouble. And even if he does play, I think they beat Cornell, but then they play the winner of BU Western Michigan, which I imagine, I imagine will be Boston University. They're the better team. They're playing close to home in Manchester, New Hampshire. And if it is BU and DU, for a trip to the Frozen Four in Manchester, I'm not sure I love DU's chances. And again, I'm not sure all the integrated players who played on Friday are fully healthy. Uh, they need a little more game action. And of course, they don't play again until Thursday, and then it's single elimination. You're done if you lose. So, I feel the same vibe around DU that I did with Kansas in the NCAA basketball tournament. And you had that sniffed out. You did. And I I thought they'd lose to Arkansas, and I thought that way when they were 10 points ahead with about 10 minutes to go. I thought there was trouble because there were two hot Arkansas players they couldn't control, and Bill Self was not on the bench to bail them out, as he has so often done. And my opinion is uh, that Bill Self would not have been able to coach even had Kansas advanced. Uh, I I think the boundary, and again, this is pure speculation. Uh, I don't know anything, but I follow that program pretty closely and I know how they operate. Um, if he couldn't coach in either of the first two games, I doubt he would have been able to coach this week in the regionals or in the final four if they had gotten that far. But Arkansas played great maybe even with self on the bench, Kansas might have lost. And I kind of feel that way with respect to DU and and Krona's injury and some of the other injuries. Uh, I don't get a great vibe. It's hard to defend. I mean, the dude and is, it's, it's, it's all there, in college there's, sports. There's all of in that. In pro sports, it's hard. But in college sports, it's especially hard because some of the guys that got you there or ladies, that they, they've moved on. They've, they've, yeah. they've graduated. They've left. They've gone pro, wherever it ends up being. So you immediately become thinned out by some of those injuries when they hit. And that's the concern. Of course, when it's your goaltender, you really have to worry about it. But Denver will take on Cornell Thursday. You remember the, the tournament itself is only 16 teams, so uh, you, you start right in the, the 16. You know, it's funny. ECAC got better representation than Hockey East. It was a down year back East. It really was. So the opportunity is certainly there if they're playing an ECAC team in Cornell that didn't even win the ECAC. Mm-hmm. And didn't win the tournament. I think either. they get by Cornell. I think they get by Cornell. I think they can get by Cornell because they you hope they're that, faster. Yeah, and I think they're more explosive than Cornell. Cornell has trouble scoring goals. I, I'm if I'm DU, this is the gamble I make, and I'm not Chris Carl. Chris Carl knows far more about this than David I David Carl. Da- David, David Carl, Carl. Pardon me. Right. Um, I might play I, Davis against I, Cornell. Yeah, I don't start Corona. I, 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 I look if you're going for the big picture. Yeah, and see then, if Cornell uh, can go. Uh, you you see, see if see, see if, if Davis can handle can go it. against BU yeah. or Western yep. Michigan. I don't play him. I just I say Corona, and I I just say, hey, look, you know, we we trust in our backup. We're gonna go with them. We're the better team. We're gonna go with them, and we have to buy a little time off for for Corona to recover and feel better. So uh, for for David Carl, that's that's what I would do. We will see. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't lose the games. So the temptation is run your best out and hope for the best. But but if he's uh, but, not healthy, this you is a team that knows they can win the whole thing. And I, I I wouldn't do it. I'd I'd sit him and I'd hope that you're going to get Boston or and you'd root it, like heck for Western Michigan for the Broncos to somehow knock the. This Terriers is off. not the strongest sixteen team field it that NCAA hockey has ever assembled. It is not. It's interesting if you go not back through this century national championships. Minnesota, the top seed in the tournament, last one. In consecutive years, 2002, 2003, that's a long time ago, right? They were runners up in uh, 2014. Denver has won four times, 04, 05, 17, and 22. BU won once in 09. That's it. 
Quinnipiac, no other champions in the field. A championship. Except, I mean, Michigan, Michigan, of course, was a runner-up in 2011. Michigan hasn't won a national right. championship in this century, which is astonishing because they are, to me, and that's why they went to the Frozen Four last year, mm-hmm. lost to DU, and couldn't wait to fire their head coach, Mel Pearson, who has a record that was quite distinguished. But when they had Red Berenson, they were winning national championships. And with Mel Pearson, they weren't, so they fired Mel Pearson. DU and Michigan. A frozen four team fired the head coach. coach. And Michigan, of course, has. And Michigan's t- right back uh, as the, the uh, third of the number one seeds. Um, Denver's the fourth of the number one seeds. Minnesota's the top seed, and Quinnipiac is number two. Um but that shows you how impressive Denver's been it's, because Michigan and Denver have nine it's wide championships open, each. It's wide open in college hockey. Those are the two winningest programs in history of NCAA college hockey. Michigan and Denver both with nine championships. Right. But Denver has nine, uh, five of their nine in the 21st century, and Michigan has uh, Well, four. four. Four, pardon me, four of the nine in the, in the 20th century. Right. I was getting ahead of myself. Michigan has zero. zero. So, I mean, th- th- you're talking and about— And last year, they met in the semifinals, Michigan heavily favored. They, at the Frozen Four, they met in the semifinals. Michigan had nine titles, DU had eight, and everybody thought Michigan would get its 10th. Instead, DU got its ninth and tied Michigan, beat them in that game, beat Minnesota State in the NCAA championship game. Um, I uh, I wish they were healthier. The one nothing loss at the XL Energy Center, where DU last year got shut out. In the in the semifinals of the frozen faceoff, that that doesn't bother me in and of itself. But um, I, I, you know, you talk you talk about fatigue. It's it's a long college hockey season. They're playing in early October. We you know, will find it's, out. On, it's almost April now. on Thursday. Of course, they will. That's a few days off, so maybe time to get a rest. And if, if they can get past them without Corona, another opportunity to buy an extra two days, which is when they'd be in action. So hopefully, uh, DU can get a win there. As we pointed out, they are the preeminent hockey program. Oh, and they will have Mike Benning, who was ill the other day and did not play. Uh, I'm sure he's over his illness now and will be fine to go on Thursday. And he is the best offensive defenseman in college hockey. In my humble opinion. Nice to have one of those back for sure. That's how you get a winner. And if you are injured, you need to hire the winner as well. That is our friends at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. They have locations all over the front range for Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, DTC, Colorado Springs, and even in Cheyenne. When you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum, whether it's a settlement or by trial, they will fight for you. So when you're injured, don't go on TV. Follow someone that kept it with a joke for a couple seconds. Go somewhere where they win. They will take care of you and get your maximum recovery. That's Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com and 720-845-7001. When we get back, we'll touch on the NFL free agency. Who won? Who had the best signing? Who had the worst one? Was it the Broncos? We'll talk about it next. 